We've been looking at uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 15. That's where we will continue to be tonight. Well, that really, we've just looked at verses 10 through 13. But tonight, we're going to look at verses 10 through 15. And I want to read those verses to you. Paul said, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Across the last several weeks, we've talked about what it is to be strong in the Lord. We've seen the need of it. Uh, And last week we talked about just why we need the armor of God. We need the armor of God because of, uh, of the powers that are arrayed against us. And we talked about those powers last week from these verses that we just read. We talked about the strategies that the devil employs against us. The schemes are the wiles of the devil. And we also talked about that evil day that the devil has marked on the calendar of our lives when he will pull out all the stops seeking our destruction. Every genuine believer is a target of his hatred. I wish I could say that I had never been one of his victims, but uh, Billy Sunday once said, and I agree with what Billy Sunday said, he said, I believe there is a devil for two reasons. Number one, I've done, he said, number one, the Bible speaks about him, And number two, I've done business with him. And unfortunately, most of us have done business with the devil. We know the hurt that he can bring into our lives and to the lives of our family. He sows discord into uh, the life of every person here. He can sow discord into the life of, of the church. He can make you one of his victims or he can use you as a tool to victimize someone else in his plot to steal and to kill and to destroy. The Bible presents him as a roaring lion. Uh, His teeth are sharp. His tongue drips with desire for your blood. His claws are waiting to rake across your soul and spirit, leaving you defeated and discouraged and defiled. And for that reason, you as well as I, you need a strength that is not your own You need a power greater than you can supply, and you need the protection no earthly armor can afford. You need to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, one of the things we're going to do tonight is we're going to come at this in a way you've never probably heard it before. That's good because it's going to make you think, and it's going to challenge me a little bit to to help keep you thinking. Whose armor is this? What armor are we encouraged to put on? It is the full armor of God. It belongs to God. It doesn't belong to you. It comes from God. It is his provision 
for your soul in this battle against the enemy. And wearing it gives you strength for the battle. We have to remember that as we read about these powers that are arrayed against us, when we do battle against the enemy, really we're out of our league. Think of a peewee football player stepping on the field with an NFL team. That peewee football player is not equipped to do battle against forces like that. And so we have to rely on God's power and God's strength. Our call to wear the armor of God is not a call to equip ourselves with shields and swords of our own making. What we need is provided by God, it's provided through God, and not by way, it is not physical property at all. It's by way, what we need is provided by way of a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to illustrate that for you and explain that to you so that you will see the direction from which I'm coming. In the book of Romans, Paul issued another call for readiness in battle. In Romans 13, 12, Paul said, The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. What is the armor of light? And is the armor of light, does it have anything to do with the armor of God? And then in that same chapter, in the 14th verse, he gives us an idea of what it means to wear the armor of light or the full armor of God when in verse 14 he says, Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. I want to tell you tonight that Jesus Christ is the only one who can make you strong in the Lord. I'm going to suggest to you that he is the full armor of God. Now, how do we know that? Well, if you look at the rest of the book of Ephesians, what was Paul's standards for husband? A husband was to love his wife. How? Like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. What is his standard of commitment for the Christian? It is the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. When you look at the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly life, wouldn't you say that Jesus was a man who wore at all times the full armor of God? You see a man standing victorious against all the strategies of the devil. You see a man in the evil day when he went to the cross standing firm. And when the battle was over, you hear him cry from the cross, it is finished. Satan was defeated with, with the cross forever announcing that our Lord stood firm. So we, when we put on the armor of God, we're putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. We are suiting up to do battle with an armor, with an armor that has been proven on the battlefield of life, Jesus proved every piece of it. Now let me go back to the story of David and Goliath in the Old Testament. We know that story well. We know how young David came out ready to fight Goliath, and we know how in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 38 and 39, uh, Saul offers him his armor. This is a pitiful picture, but it's really the only picture that we have in Scripture. Here it is. The Bible says Saul clothed David with his garments. 
put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with armor. David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I can't go with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Simply put, he had not proved them in battle. Not only so, if Saul wouldn't go and fight the giant in his own armor, why would David wear it into battle? He needed something better. He needed the armor of God. David did. Did you, do you see any armor on him? Does the Bible describe any armor on him at all? Instead, what do you see with David? David didn't even come in David's name. He didn't go into the battle as David. He told Goliath, I come to you in the name of my God. He also came in the strength of his God and in the armor of God. Likewise, we need to be clothed with garments and armor that belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. So first, here's number one. The armor of God, Paul told us we need to be girded with truth. Now, in the, days, in the days of Paul, men in the Roman world didn't wear pants like we do. They didn't wear army uniforms, and they wore something like a tunic or almost like a dress. And for that dress, to, they had around it, they had a belt. And when they got ready to run, they hiked up their britches or their skirt or whatever it was, and they tucked it in their belt so they could get moving, so they could do battle, whatever it was they were going to do. That was called girding up the loins, and it was a symbol. It becomes a picture for readiness. The Christian soldier, according to Paul here, is not ready to do battle until his loins are girded with truth. Now, whose truth are we talking about? Man, our truth is a little wishy-washy sometimes, even when we're, you know, trying to tell our stories. This is not your truth. This is God's truth. How does the Bible define truth? This is important, so I hope you'll hang on. In Psalm 31, verse 5, God is identified as the source of truth. Did you know that all truth, all truth has its source in God? That's all truth. Scientific truth mathematical truth, all the truth about the elements, all truth has its source in God. In Isaiah 45, 19, we read, I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. In the New Testament, Jesus often began his remarks with, Verily, verily, I say unto you. That's the King James Version. In the New American Standard Bible, it reads, Truly, truly. And in the NIV, it reads, I tell you the truth. And, it re and, and Jesus said that 25 times in the New Testament. Not only did he tell the truth, Jesus is the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when you gird yourself with truth, you're girding yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. You're girding yourself with the truth that he is and with the truth out of his mouth. In John 17, 17, Jesus said, God's word is truth. Now, is the devil interested in the truth? Absolutely not. The devil's desire is to deceive. The Bible said there is no truth in him, but he will use the truth and he will twist the truth and he will distort the truth in an effort to deceive. Eve was deceived in the garden because she was not girded with the truth. The devil lied to her about God and she believed the devil's lie rather than the truth God had given her. Paul told Colossians, in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, that in Jesus Christ were hidden all 
the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All of them. We, we, you know, we've been in discipleship training. Some of us have been, and we're talking about creation from uh, the perspective of the Bible rather than the, the perspective of science that, that the world gives us or the secular view of creation. We're looking at the biblical account of creation, and, and we're, we're talking about science in the church and all the things that go with it. But Jesus Christ... In him is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All of truth is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul said, I say this so that no one may deceive you by high-sounding arguments. Jesus said in John 18, John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Henry Blackaby, in Experiencing God, said it best, I think, in his study. He said, truth is a person. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's something that made me think. And you need to think about it as well. So that no philosophy will shake you from that foundation. No argument will sway you to doubt his person, his his person and his power. Truth is concrete. It's unchanging. It's non-negotiable. Ray Steadman once told the story of how a man came to his friend who was a music teacher. He asked him, did he have any good news for the day? He picked up a small hammer and a tuning fork, and he hit that tuning fork, and he said, that, my friend, is the good news for the day. That is A, the note A. He said, that was A 500 years ago. That was A 5,000 years ago. And 10,000 years from now, this will still be A. The soprano upstairs sings off-key. The tenor across the hall flats his high notes, and the piano downstairs is out of tune. Then he struck the tuning fork again, and he said, That is A, my friend, and that is the good news for today. He was pointing out an unchanging truth. Jesus Christ is also unchanging truth. He is the sum of all truth. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the Bible says we are to gird ourselves with truth, never questioning a word that he said, never doubting his existence based on high-sounding arguments because they are, as they were in the garden, the devil's efforts to deceive. To be strong in the Lord, you must be girded with truth, allowing nothing or no one to bring into question the Lord Jesus Christ. Question science before you question Christ. Question philosophy before you question Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Girded with truth. Number two, to be strong in the Lord, you must be guarded by righteousness. Stand firm, he says, therefore, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now remember whose armor this is. It's the armor of God, and when you put on truth, you put on Christ's truth. And when you put on righteousness, you put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The Bible describes the devil, or Satan, as the accuser of the brethren. And he accuses you. I'm sure he's accused you before. Pointed his finger at you to slander you, to accuse you, to condemn you. He slanders you to God, accuses you before God, condemns you before God. On what basis does he condemn us? Well, he condemns us because of our sin, because of our shortcomings. You have any? You you have any sin? You have any shortcomings? 
I may have told you before about Bethany Knight, and she had a brother, Ryan Knight. They grew up in our church in Hamilton, and when I was about to baptize her, I said, Bethany, do you know what sin is? She was a little bitty girl, and she said, yes, sin is the darkness of the devil. And she, I said, Bethany, do you have any sin in you? She said, yes, I do, but it's usually my brother that starts the fight. That's the way <laughs> she answered the question. She blamed Ryan, her brother, that was just a little bit older. All of us have sin in us. That's the problem. And if you hold up the flimsy shield of your righteousness to do battle against the enemy, it will crumble. The Bible tells us that our righteousness is no more than a filthy rag. When you pray, Satan will come with a stabbing accusation and he will say, why do you pray? God won't hear you. Look at you. An illustration comes from the third chapter of the book of Zechariah. Joshua in the book of Zechariah is not the Joshua in the book of Joshua. He happens to be the high priest, and he's standing in the very presence of the Lord. Here he is, probably about to maybe preach a sermon, or maybe he's about to offer a sacrifice. And as he's standing in the presence of the Lord, the Bible also says Satan was standing at his right hand to accuse him. Accuse him of what? Probably point out that the high priest, as it says in the New Testament, was beset with weakness. Your preacher's beset with weakness. Your deacons are beset with weakness. Your mama's beset with weakness. Your daddy's beset with weakness. We can go all the way back to the garden and find the problem in the garden where Adam and Eve were beset with weakness and it became worse when sin came on the scene. And in that moment, Zechariah describes a great thing. He said, the Lord spoke. The Lord spoke in the middle of that moment when Satan was standing at his right hand, Joshua's right hand, to accuse him. And he said, the Lord said, the Lord rebuke you. He said, is this not a brand plucked from the fire? I saved him. I have chosen him. And the Lord continued to speak, telling those around him to remove his filthy garments and put clean garments on him. And from that moment forward, he was no longer standing in his own righteousness, serving the Lord. He was standing in what only God could provide. Paul said in Romans 8, chapter 1, 8, chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. He may point his finger at something in my life. He may show me I'm guilty and dirty, and if I stand on my own merits, I'll be condemned. But instead, what I need is the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, Brother N.H. Smith pointed out this verse to me 40 years ago next month. That's when I came to Agricola. He was the interim pastor at Agricola. I don't know why, but I remember every verse, Brother N.H. I didn't spend very much time with Brother N.H. Smith. Some of you, that's Reed Smith's daddy, by the way. If That's the only way some of you will know him. Brother N.H. had been pastor at Shady Grove. He'd been pastor at Four Mile Creek. He's well known. And he was retired by then. But Brother N.H. said, you need to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, that says Jesus Christ has become for us wisdom from God, righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Man, that's a powerful verse if you ever think about it. That's who Jesus is to us, wisdom from God. That means all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge righteousness, holiness, sanctification, and redemption. It all comes 
from him. He is my breastplate of righteousness. He shields me from the accusations of the enemy. He substitutes his impenetrable, spotless breastplate of righteousness for the filthy rags of my own. So to be strong in the Lord, I need to be girded with truth. Whose truth? His truth. I need to be guarded by righteousness. Whose righteousness? His righteousness. I don't stand on my own and say, devil, I'm a good guy. I'm not a good guy. But Jesus Christ is good. He is holy. And I'm standing behind him. And I'm clothing myself with him. And I don't do battle with the enemy in my own strength or in my own armor, but with the battle-tested armor who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Third, I must be grounded in the gospel. Stand firm, therefore, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The Roman historian Josephus tells us that in the days that Paul lived, Roman soldiers wore shoes studded with nails. Can you imagine wearing those things? Some of you have worn cleats. You know what it is to wear cleats. Some of us used to wear cleats that were fiberglass. Some of us used to wear cleats that were metal. And we know what those are like. But imagine having a nail driven down through the bottom of your shoe to help you grip the ground. Can you imagine what it felt like coming back up? Uh, it couldn't have been very comfortable. But they did that to have good footing. And so <clears throat> what kind of shoes are needed by the Christian soldier? Well, remember, this, this is the armor of God. It's the armor that belongs to God. It's the armor that God provides. And I'm presenting this to you, perhaps in a way that it's never been presented to you before, but I'm doing that tonight, in that each piece of this armor represents the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is not a message after all. The gospel is a person. It's all about him and what he can do. It's about what, how he can help me. And Paul says in Philippians, he says, I can do all things through Christ who give me strength. strength. So what about shoes? What do feet do? Well, feet enable us to stand. And Paul is talking about standing firm, being grounded, being able to hold our ground against a powerful enemy. The Bible says that the Lord will make our feet like hinds feet, like, a, like the feet of a deer. You've seen those, those deer, that, those mountain goats, and how they hop across the mountains and they don't ever seem to stumble. Those are difficult places for us to walk, but not difficult places for them to walk unless we've got hinds feet, goat feet, deer feet that help us to be agile and firm-footed. He says God will give us feet like that that will help us stand in difficult places. Now, in those places of difficulty, our footing will be confident because we have peace with God. Peace with God. I'm confident of his salvation. I'm confident of his presence. I'm confident of his power. I'm confident of his protection. I'm confident of that because of the gospel, the message about Jesus Christ, what Jesus Christ has done for me. How was it that David was able to stand his ground against Goliath? What, what made David different from Saul and the rest of those soldiers in Israel's army. They all were afraid. They were afraid of the giant. Why was David not afraid? What did David have on the battlefield that day that they didn't have? David had peace with God. Thus he had no fear of the enemy. His confidence was in God, not in either one of those five smooth stones he picked up, not in his slingshot, not in his aim. It was in God, and so he had peace. Here's a hymn. We should have had the ladies play it tonight. 
you probably wouldn't have known it, but it was written in the 1500s. That's how old it is, by a man named Martin Luther. Listen to what it says. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he, amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing, for still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he, Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him, his rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindreds go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Jesus Christ is my truth. He is my confidence. He is my peace and my protection in times of battle. So in order to be strong in the Lord, I need to be girded with his truth. I need to be guarded with his righteousness, and I needed to be grounded in the gospel, possessing the peace that comes from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace and will forever be, as long as I cling to him, the protector of my soul. There's a real devil. The Bible tells about him. There is a real Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible also tells about him. And he is our defender, our protector, our savior in this battle against the enemy of our souls. Let's pray.